Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. And we're very happy to be with you folks for another week of this National Crawford Roundtable with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, myself, Bob Duco. Gentlemen, how are you today? Hey, Bob. Doing well. How are you, Bob? Uh, well. Doing very well, thanks. Okay, so first, let's see. Was anybody surprised by Kamala Harris? I, I, I have to admit, I, I've been calling Kamala Harris really for, for, for quite a long time, so I would have been surprised if it would have been anybody else. Some people were thinking maybe Susan Rice. Some people are thinking Karen Bass. Uh, all along, I've been kind of saying, no, it's going to be Kamala, so I'm not really surprised by this. Let's kind of go around the, the table. What's everybody think? John Rush? Uh, were you surprised it was Kamala that Joe Biden picked? No, it was either her or Susan Rice. Yeah. Obama was pushing really hard for Susan Rice, so I was a little surprised that Obama didn't get his way because normally he does, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. So, yeah, a little bit shocked on that side of the fence. Not shocked at the pick, just shocked at the—we'll you know, talk about this through the podcast, but you know, just shocked that the Democrats have a ticket that, frankly, their own party I don't think likes. Yeah, interesting. So, okay, so no real surprise there. Uh, Roger Marsh, what was your take on uh, what did it surprise you at all? Is this who you were expecting? No, it was absolutely who I was expecting. I think that the, uh, the the Democrat Party is kind of on life support. I mean, if Joe Biden's the best you got, then you really have to come out with a you know a real zinger. And just like in 2016, when they had to pick somebody who would not overshadow Hillary Clinton, um, they have to give their base something that says, first of all, we're super progressive, so we're checking off as many boxes as we possibly can. And secondly, we've got to have somebody who's got some gas in the tank because Joe Biden's 77, and there's more concern that he won't finish his first term just because because he'll resign and say, hey, forget it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Mm-hmm. So it has to be somebody who could actually lead the country in terms of democratic dynamism. And I think that the, to the democratic base, uh, this is the one that uh, you know that they're looking for. I don't think Susan Rice had the charisma at all. She's got zero personality. Uh, and, and for Democrats that are so image-driven, uh, this is exactly the right pick for them, I'm sure they're thinking right now. Now, of course, once we start digging into her history and her past, and, and then it'll be a real question of, well, does the the left just say, well, we don't care because she's Kamala Harris and she's got, you know, got an African-American mixed race background and she's hot and she was a prosecutor in L.A. and or San Francisco, rather, in California. She's got the left coast and Joe's got the east coast. And, you know, quite frankly, we were more than happy to get rid of her as attorney general here in California right. and uh, had kind of in a do nothing position as a senator from California. I think that her running for vice president means that we get another shot at having a decent senator in this state. Yeah, all right. Well, that's good. And by the way, when you talk about Joe Biden's age, uh, you know, we're all old enough to remember when Ronald Reagan was president and all of the talk in the media about Ronald Reagan's age. Is he too old? Is he too old? Is he too mm-hmm. old? Okay, here's some perspective on this. If Joe Biden is elected, he will be older on day one of his presidency than Ronald Reagan was on his last day of his presidency. Wow. Okay, so let's put that into perspective. Uh, Neil Boron, so first of all, Neil, just were you surprised at all by this pick? Is this kind of who you expected? And then we'll go around the table and we'll start getting into some details of analyzing this, this pick in, in more detail. Uh, no, not surprised, but a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Let me just say nothing surprises me anymore. So there you go. <laughs> How could it? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Neil, then let's let's kind of uh, give some analysis and assessment. Roger gave us a little bit here, but uh, what is your overall assessment now of 
Kamala Harris as the pick for Joe Biden. I mean, what do you think about this pick? Was this strategically smart or not smart? What does this say about uh, the race itself? What's your overall initial analysis? Politically, I don't have a lot to say just because I'm not that familiar with Kamala Harris. I mean, I'm learning a great deal more and I've spent the last 24 hours reading articles about, you know, her history and some of the things that she's more or less brought to the table. But like I said, I'm not surprised by the pick. Uh, I think that they needed somebody who looked young, uh, given, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. Anybody's going to look young. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Bernie Sanders Uh, almost looks young next to me. (laughs) Somebody looked like they had a pulse, actually, to be honest with you. Um, You know, but an African-American, I mean, that obviously makes sense. Female makes sense. So I'm talking about, like Roger said, from a Democratic perspective. Um, But she's got a very interesting track record in history that I think we need to talk about, and that's what we're going to break down during this time together. Let me, uh, uh, John Rush, of course, Rush to Reason out of Denver. Uh, John, it's interesting, uh, Neil refers to as an African-American because African-American is kind of the more political, politically correct way to refer to somebody than just straight out black. Uh, this is kind of a side note, I suppose. She's but not, though. What do we do with the fact that she's not African-American, okay? Her Nothing. father was Jamaican. Her mother was Indian from India. Yeah. So she Nothing. is mixed race, there's no doubt. Uh, and I think it's fair to refer to her as black because Jamaican typically is black. Right. But it, it's interesting. That it is going to be a, a unique situation because we're so used to using black and African-American as synonymous. But in this case, it's not going to be. No, it's uh, not. But setting that side note aside, what, what uh, what's your general overall analysis on, on Kamala Harris? Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I think that we on our side need to be careful of in, in that realm of, you know, what is her actual race? Truthfully, I think it's one of those things that on our side of the fence, conservatives, it shouldn't even be brought up. We shouldn't even talk about it. You know, whatever she wants to be called, call mm-hmm. her. Don't worry about it. Don't get into it. And, you know, get into the fact of what she stands for when it comes to hardcore, you know, communist traits, if you would. Let, let, let's, let's concentrate on the policies that she would that, that she would bring into the Oval Office and things right. along those lines. Frankly, I don't care what the color of her skin is. I don't think anybody else should either. Frankly, I don't think the Democrats should, but that's part of the reason why she got chosen. But I, I don't think on our side, I think it does us a disservice when we concentrate on that end of things. Yeah, I think it's a very fair point. So uh, what about your, how then would you assess overall? What's your kind of analysis of Joe Biden picking Kamala Harris then what does she bring to the ticket is this a smart move on his part not a smart move to help Trump hurt Trump I mean what do you think I think it helps our side I'm not you know I'm not in their party of course I don't think like a Democrat thank God I'm just not I don't have that same <laughs> not yeah. the same mindset that they all have and frankly guys I really I don't understand why they didn't pick a Tulsi Gabbard to actually be the presidential nominee versus the Joe Bidens of the world, because frankly, if Tulsi was the one we were running against versus Joe Biden, we'd be having a completely different conversation today. So I honestly, guys, can't figure out what the Democrat Party is doing right now. I think there's a lot of other choices they could have had besides Harris, uh, frankly. In fact, I think any other nominee or anybody else that was even up on the stage as a presidential candidate for the Democrats would have been a better pick than her with the baggage she's got coming into this. But I will say this, and nobody believes me yet on this one, and I, I'm going to stand by this one. I still think, and I could be completely wrong, I know the Democrats are playing to win. They always do. I get that. I, I'm not saying that they're not, but I also think that they know 
they've got a real long shot at beating Trump this year. I mean, they're doing everything they can with the economy and COVID and all these other things to bring things down to give Joe any kind of a shot whatsoever. But to me personally, these are the two candidates that they can throw away, that they never have to worry about running for president or VP again. And to me, that's how they're looking at it. I could be completely wrong, but that's my viewpoint. Hmm. Uh, Roger Marsh, this is, you know, Kamala Harris, she's from your backyard out there in the People's mm-hmm. Republic of California. And, and usually presidential nominees pick a vice president to kind of round out the uh, round out the the people that they're trying to reach, you know. So uh, you look at somebody like uh, you look at somebody like uh, Donald Trump. Okay, so what does he do? He brings in a born again evangelical Christian. Uh, you look at uh, even John McCain, kind of the same thing. Okay, well let me bring in Sarah Palin because uh, see what I got. Uh, Barack Obama. Okay, well he's inexperienced, so let me bring in a traditional establishment Democrat who's been in there for 90 years, okay? And so uh, there's that sense of whatever I'm lacking, let me fill in the other pieces of the puzzle with my VP nominee. Yet here's Joe Biden, who has already declared himself, I'm going to be a puppet of the AOC AOC liberal left. There's nothing that I'm going to be to the right of where the Democratic Party wants to take me. And he takes an ultra leftist like Kamala Harris from California and puts her on for no reason other than, okay, who are the black women I can choose from? They're the only ones to consider. I mean, I know that sounds cynical, but uh, it almost seems like of all of the black women that I can choose from, and they're my only options, which one is going to be the, the least damaging as far as PR control and trying to help us move forward? But bottom line, this is not a traditional pick, it seems. No, it certainly is not. And uh, I've got a lot to say about this because of the multi background uh, that she's got and that she brings to the table. And of course, we've been living this legacy here. Uh, Bob, why don't we take a break and then I come back and dive in on that? That's a very good point. You're you're absolutely right. We are coming up on a break. I guess one of us ought to be looking at the clock, huh? (laughs) uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to continue this conversation on the National Crawford Roundtable next. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth For Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthfullife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth For Life from the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, Roger Marsh, the bottom line in Southern California, of course, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, and so... Uh, Roger, as we were talking about, yeah, this is this is from your neck of the woods, of course, Kamala Harris. But this is not a traditional pick uh, that presidential candidates usually do. Uh, right. He went ahead, and the, the the party has gone so hardcore to the left. And here's an idea: let's take somebody who is the fourth most liberal United States senator from California, of all places, and let's put her on because. She, of all the black women I could choose from, which is the only pool of people I can choose from, but we're not racist, only pool of people I can choose from, she's the one I suppose that's the uh, best as far as damage control and PR. I mean, I don't know. What's your take? 
Well, it, it, this is a woman who uh, has such a, a checkered past in terms of uh, her political aspirations, you know, starting from the fact that she her, she graduated from Hastings College of Law, UC Berkeley, which is an outstanding school. She graduated from Howard University for undergrad, so she checks off all the boxes. She was born in Berkeley, for crying out loud, and dad's Jamaican and mom is from India. So not only is she the first African-American woman to be on a ticket like this, she's also the first Asian-American woman. So she, yeah. she checks off multiple boxes, and I, and I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek because identity politics is such a big deal to the Democrat Party. I'm sure somebody said, oh yeah, let's go ahead and do this because her middle name is Devi. I mean, it's it's nuts. But this is also a young woman who, in spite of her really great credentials, got her start in the political world because she was sleeping with the mayor of Oakland. I mean, Willie Brown was uh, 60 years old and married and Kamala Harris was 30 and right out of law school and all of a sudden she starts getting these appointments in San Francisco. And bottom line, also simulcast on our Crawford sister station KCBC in the Bay Area. So a lot of people are, have been living her dream when she was the district attorney of San Francisco, and then she barely kind of eked her way in as the attorney general in California. She took over for uh, uh, Jerry Brown when he was elected governor and then reelected in 2014. Thanks to Kamala Harris, Proposition 8 was not defended in, uh, in the Supreme Court. I mean, the, the reason Prop 8 and the whole gay marriage thing, that was the precursor to the Obergefell decision. That started with her abdicating her duty as the Attorney General and saying, no, I think this is, a, we, it, I only on the wrong side of history. And so there was a proper defense for Proposition 8 but, but that the people voted for and passed and said we should define marriage as traditional you know, man and woman. But because they didn't have standing, because the standing belonged to the Attorney General who refused to defend it in front of the Supreme Court. This is the kind of woman the Democrats want as their Vice President. I mean, and eventually their President if there's a succession plan. You know, John, you made that point about this being kind of a throwaway year for the Democrats. And the more I'm thinking about that, the more it does make sense. I mean, this is going to look good in all the posters. It's going to look good for all the, the reels. And uh, of course, all the news packages are put together now. They're ready for Election Day in case they get lucky and she actually does win. You know, Kamala Harris, Harris was born to immigrant parents, blah, blah, blah. We'll have all those news packages but at the end of the day it does look like she was also one of the first ones out in the primaries back last year as we can remember back to the pre-covid days so i i i I don't think there's a lot of love lost to the democrat side the bernie sanders crowd is already saying it's like joe biden gave us the middle finger by picking this woman she's not Mm -hmm. progressive enough for us Uh, it'll be interesting to see but we've been we've been living this nightmare for a long time here in the people's republic so uh we know exactly what we're going to get if that ticket does win so can i throw in a theory and just get some reaction to it please Uh, well bob you mentioned that you know um uh, well let me just say this joe biden brings very little to the table in my mind because i don't think most people take him seriously at this point i honestly believe people are saying well he's going to be at the very best a one-term president if he makes it that far and Mm -hmm. i don't mean to be overly skeptical about that reality i'm just saying you know like i honestly think joe biden is being hidden in his basement right now because people are afraid to put him on a stage to debate Donald Trump or anybody who has a pulse, literally. So if if Joe if um, Joe Biden isn't bringing much to the table, then it really doesn't matter that you balance him with someone else. Like if he's viewed by many people, let's just say, as a, a moderate or a centrist of some kind, well then let's put a liberal progressive on there to balance, the, you know, the the equation. But I, I really think, in some ways, the Democratic Party believes that. You know, the Black Lives Matter mantra and the um, Antifa cancel culture thing and everything is really where the American people are at. And I think it shows how out of touch they are with reality. Because I think that they they feel they're giving somebody, like, they're giving uh, their party like a populist candidate. This is, this is how the, this is what America wants now. This is where we're coming from. And I think they're 
tremendously mistaken, but that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely believe, and to, first of all, I mean, it's John's point, it's very possible that this is just kind of a throwaway thing, but I, I tend to think while that's possible, it's kind of a dual purpose here. At worst, these are throwaway candidates, and it's a throwaway election. Okay, fine. But at best, this is somebody who, uh, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win, then she ends up becoming the president before the 2024 election. There's just no way in the world I see them allowing Joe Biden to go all the way to 2024 and then have her try to run as the VP uh, to become president against whoever the Republican is when, to me, it makes more sense for the Democrats to say, let's get her in there, and then two, three years into his first term, we'll come up with the reason that he uh, gracefully and respectfully bows out, and then that way at least she gets the perception in the media of being called Madam President for a good year or two, so the American public has adjusted to her being the president. They see her in G7 summits and such. They see her giving a State of the Union address, and it's like, okay, she's kind of the president. It's a little bit easier then for her to uh, prove that she's ready to be president come 2024 and continue on her own. So I, I, if I, my crystal ball, if I can use that term, is if they win, something happens, don't know what it is, but they manufacture something so that she takes over in 2022, possibly 2023. That's my best guess. Now, uh, I, I do want to throw out my thoughts, though, on uh, on. How just how radical left wing she really is, and it is ironic that the Bernie people are complaining about her. The New York Times is uh, referring to her as a quote pragmatic moderate. The Washington Post <laughs> is referring to her as a quote moderate. And let's let's just look at this logically and factually, okay? Uh, in 2018, she compared ICE agents to the KKK. She support, she's declared her support for Bernie's Medicare for All, which would eliminate private health care uh, in this country. She was the, one of the first co-sponsors of AOC's Green New Deal. She wants to raise taxes. She supports free health care and government benefits for illegal immigrants. She doesn't support any restrictions on abortion whatsoever. As a matter of fact, uh, we all know the case of David DeLayden, Center, Center for Medical Progress. He's the investigative journalist who uncovered Planned Parenthood and their selling of baby body parts. Okay, well, Kamala Harris is the one, is the attorney general who brought charges against him, and, and he's countersuing her now. But so she's the one who went after him. That's how radical she is. Uh, strict gun ownership restrictions. She said also, can I say, that regarding Joe Biden's female accusers, uh, she said she believed them. Okay, but of course now she's willing to be his vice president. In twenty, in a primary debate last year, she called out Joe Biden for his opposing busing back in the 1970s, implying that he was racist. We know she supports open borders, sanctuary cities, supports the LGBT and transgenderism movement. As a matter of fact, she co-sponsored the bill to force school sports teams to have to let men who think of themselves as women 
compete in female sports in school, high school. She co-sponsored that bill. She said she supports banning plastic straws to save the earth, removing red meat from the government's food pyramid. And by the way, she tweeted in August of last year about Michael Brown's, quote, murder when it was Joe Biden and Barack Obama's own Department of Justice that declared Darren Wilson did not commit murder. That was a justifiable shooting. I mean, you look at how radical and left-wing she is and the nonpartisan govtrack.us that tracks how conservative people are in the United States Senate from a score of 1 to 100 for all senators. The number one most conservative senator in the United States Senate, according to their actual official voting record, is James Inhofe. Okay, fine. Tom Cotton is number three. Ted Cruz is number nine. Uh, Debbie Stabenow here in Michigan is number 69. Chuck Schumer is number 70 out of 100, just to put this into perspective, okay? Dianne Feinstein is number 85. Elizabeth Warren is number 87. Maisie Hirono, who walked out of Ted Cruz's uh, hearings last week, is number 90. Kamala Harris is 96 out of 100. 96 out of 100. She uh, is right there in line with Bernie Sanders, who's 98 out of 100. So, we got to stop kidding ourselves here. The media, guys, is going to try to paint her as a moderate, as a centrist, as whatever. That is not true. She's a hardcore, uh, she's a hardcore liberal left-wing activist, and I think they know she will be president of the United States inside of two or three years if born-again Christians in this country allow Donald Trump to lose this election in two and a half months. All right, that's my rant. That's my my okay, take on all this. That, I mean, that's astounding what you just outlined, and thank you for doing that. But um, I know we'll need to take a break here in just a second. In fact, let's do it right now. All right. Might as well, because uh, I wanted to bring up something about what you just said. You are listening to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. We'll be right back. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gray. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thanks for listening to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with Bob Duco, John Rush, Roger Marsh, and myself, Neil Boron. Um, Bob, you just outlined just a moment ago, you know, um, some of the amazing things about Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris's history and, and the idea that she in every way is a leftist progressive ideologue. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Absolutely shocking to me, by the way, that that she didn't go after Planned Parenthood when they were trafficking human body parts, but chose right. to prosecute the guy who broke the story. Right. I mean, it's unbelievable. But again, if what, so it doesn't make sense in one sense because we're saying that the Democrats, you know, it's it's we're scratching our heads trying to figure out why they chose her or why you know. Why they didn't push back on Biden when he's making because he didn't make this decision by himself. There was no way Joe Biden made this decision by himself. Right. So, with counsel, they decide Kamala Harris represents you know the future or at least a good balance to Biden because we kind of came up with that idea. So then, but 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 they chose her. So then, this actually says what they believe 
the American people want. And that, that was the point I was trying to make earlier, that somehow in the minds of liberal Democrats and the parties leaning further and further to the liberal side, um, there are no centrists in the Democratic Party anymore, or very few. Um, so this is this is exactly what they want. And just like you said, they want they expect that she's going to be in, in the Oval Office in two or three years. Um, ladies and gentlemen, wake up, because what Kamala, Kamala Harris's history represents where the Democratic Party wants our nation to go. Yeah. Roger, uh, I'm sorry, uh, John Rush, what's, what's your take on what Neil's saying there? And how liberal think, she really is. No, I think all of you are very correct. In fact, I said early on that I don't, she's not even a liberal, she's a communist. Just look at the, look yeah. at the, look at the policies that she wants to you know, enforce upon all of us as Americans from everything from you know, gay rights to consumer protection to what she feels about Facebook and Google to what she wants to do, and, you know, which, by the way, you know, free speech and things along those lines, how she wants to handle political speech, hate speech, and so on. You know, what she wants to do with immigration, open borders, and path to citizenship. And, I mean, on down the line we go. I mean, she, she definitely wants to take what Obama was doing with fundamentally changing the country. She just wants to take that and put it on steroids and go one step further. So is she a liberal? I don't know if that's even the right statement. She's a communist, not a liberal. Yeah. Uh so, Roger, any uh, any immediate thoughts then about uh, about Kamala Harris and where she stands ideologically, politically, before we start getting into some other aspects of the Biden-Harris potential presidency? No question whatsoever. The, the fiasco with David Daleiden and the Center for Medical Progress tells you everything you need to know about this woman. The fact that the undercover journalists, I mean, and, and remember, the Center for Medical Progress sounds like a big, huge corporation. It's three people. Right. It's David Daleiden, a grad student. It's Sandra Merritt, a former teacher. And it's uh, Troy Newman, the president of Operation Rescue. And with a GoPro and a, a website and a Facebook page, they were able to infiltrate the National Abortion Rights Group and, and also Planned Parenthood and get damning and condemning evidence that any if you were working for abc cbs any of the major networks and you got this kind of expose we're talking pulitzer prize or all sorts of awards but when when david when david delyden does it all of a sudden they're they're literally tossing his apartment they're stealing his equipment they're taking his computers they're literally taking material that he had that he's using in his defense against other trumped-up charges mm-hmm. and, and saying, no, you can't use this to prepare. I mean, this this is worse than, worse than taking away the straws to make bricks, I mean, for crying out loud. And and she was the mastermind behind all of it. So I, I look at that one case in and of itself and say, and this is the woman you want as your vice president? Oh, I know. Well, and I got to tell you, that Delighton case, uh, that is so that is so obscene to think about what she did. And remember, everybody, she's the one who came after him. She's the one who sat there and saw evidence now that Planned Parenthood was selling baby body parts, negotiating the prices of these, as they call them, products of conception, oh please, okay, that they were actually doing that, engaging in the illegal activity of that. And what does she do? She goes after him, claiming that he's violating the so-called eavesdropping uh, law and it's like you've got to be kidding me no one has ever been charged for that but never mind the fact that i don't know of anybody who doesn't have in their own local community some investigative journalists in their own local news departments who pose undercover to go into the, the you know the local car repair shop to expose uh, wrongdoing or scams or whatever i mean on a local scale it happens everywhere mike wallace okay made an industry of this in 60 minutes okay doing stuff like this but now suddenly it's pro-life and David Delighton, and now he is the one who 
gets charged, gets prosecuted, and she's the one who did this? Oh, yeah. This needs to be front and center for people to know. Because I want the 25% of evangelical Christians who say that they vote Democrat, they just can't support Donald Trump, they're going to vote for Joe Biden, and say, but I'm against abortion, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I want you with a straight face to say that you're more than willing to go ahead and support Kamala Harris as not the vice president, okay, but the president in waiting, okay? By If they get elected, she goes in the on-deck circle for president. She doesn't have to run for re-election. She will be instilled in the position, installed in the position of president in probably two or three years. Watch it. Are you comfortable with that, evangelical Christians? Okay, i got to hose myself down. Let's do this. It's a bottom of the hour. We're going to continue the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable. Listen to us online, everybody. You can go to crawford.live, and there's all the archives of previous podcasts you can listen to. We'd love you to rate the podcast. Or you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, listen to us there, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. And we will continue the second half online of this National Crawford Roundtable. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron of Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, Roger Marsh of The Bottom Line out of the People's Republic of Southern California, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado, myself, Bob Duco, The Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. And so, you guys, we're talking about, of course, the decision of Joe Biden to take Kamala Harris as his vice presidential running mate. I am curious to to get you guys take on any of the the potential baggage that possibly some liberals might have with her because we're talking about how liberal left wing she is okay the, the left should be celebrating her but you do have some Bernie supporters that are upset uh, saying that uh, no we don't like her she's not liberal enough there are some people who don't appreciate in the Black Lives Matter movement don't appreciate the fact that she was a prosecutor and part of her job was prosecuting uh, crime out in California, although she's pretty soft in that area. But she did uh, charge with crimes about 2,000 people for smoking marijuana, which is considered kind of a, uh, a small crime to a lot of people. So, uh, Roger, let me start with you out there in California. Might there be some blowback, might there be some liberal Democrats, especially Black Lives Matter supporting Democrats, who look at her and say, bottom line, she's a prosecutor. We see her as part of the enemy. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, that that aspect of her and the fact that she hasn't been tough on crime, she's not a death penalty advocate. In fact, uh, there was a major case here in California several years ago when she was attorney general and she wasn't pursuing the death penalty. And even Dianne Feinstein said, hey, you know, if I'd known that she was not going to go tough on crime on cases like this, I never would have endorsed her for attorney general. I certainly wouldn't endorse her for the U.S. Senate. So what we're going to see now is we're going to see all the video of her grilling Bill Barr and grilling Brett Kavanaugh on mm-hmm. saying I believe the accusers etc cetera, etc cetera, to show how tough she is and then they're going to conspicuously lose all the video of her saying I believe Joe Biden's accusers and we've got to put that one out of the way um, I think that there's a big difference between the leadership of these organizations and the actual rank and file I was reading a piece in the New York Times this morning that actually went so far as to say look leadership in the African-American community has been saying you got to pick a black woman you got to pick a black woman you got to pick a black woman but 
African-American voters are saying, look, give us some substance. The reason so many states that had been traditionally Democrat flipped for Donald Trump in 2016 is they looked at Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine and said there's nothing there. There's no substance. And and so people will enjoy the euphoria for a while of saying, look, the first uh, African-American and, and Asian, as a matter of fact, I believe the term is blasian. Uh, for someone who has her background in terms of you know, black and Asian together, okay. she's she's history making, you know, for all that. That'll wear off really quickly. Then now the new and, and she's from California for crying out loud. So I mean that that isn't going to energize that base at all. It's already a, you know left leaning state. We're so far left, we're going to fall in the ocean pretty soon. Yeah. But the idea that she would actually energize the ticket, she is getting some some blowback as ironically not being progressive enough. But at the same time, there there is going to be that you know she's going to have to work some backroom deals with some of these leading organizers because they're going to say, hey, look, you were the one and her, if you look at her track record, especially as the DA in San Francisco, uh, she's got some splaining to do and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting. And the question is, will she be able to do it in three months? Uh, Roger Marsh, are we allowed, to, or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, John Rush, are we allowed to use uh, the term blasian? <laughs> Roger, I don't know. I'm canceling I, Roger Marsh right now. Come on, guys. I'm woke, guy. I mean, I'm woke. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, no, we're, we're, we're not allowed to. If you're conservative white, I suppose, then you're not allowed to use Blasian. But it, it's like a Kung Flu, I suppose. You know, uh, I, I know I'm, Oh, no, careful. I, I know I'm sidetracking here, but I just have to say – Barack Obama, when he was president, his Veterans Administration uh, multiple times used the term Kung Flu in their VA, Veterans Administration, advertising campaigns, even having mm-hmm. a monkey in a cartoon, a cartoon monkey in a martial arts outfit kicking a virus, giving it a Kung Flu kick. Everybody saw it as a cute play on, ter- on words. As, as soon as Donald Trump used the term Kung Flu at that Tulsa rally, then suddenly it magically transformed into a racist term, just like Chinese coronavirus has done. So you do wonder, I know this is a side issue, but Blasian, probably safe to use until Donald Trump uses it, then it magically becomes racist. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, uh, but uh, so John, I mean, what's what's your take about uh, what Roger's saying? Well, first of all, Roger, you're all of you dead on. I mean, there's nothing really that I can add to what you guys are all saying, other than I think. And, and Bob, just to cut a dovetail into what you said there at the at the bottom of the of the podcast, which is if Christians, you know, do not wake up and get over this this issue that some have, and I know some have because I talk to them on a regular basis. This issue of some have voting for Donald Trump. If you go the opposite or if you throw your vote away and vote for some stupid third-party candidate, which, by the way, is a whole other podcast in and yeah. of itself. So if, if you do that as a Christian and, and you allow the, the likes of a Kamala, whatever you want to say her name, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden in, I want to make sure I remind everybody, she was a co-sponsor of the socialist health care you know, proposal that Bernie introduced for $32 trillion that would have right. cost us. She co-sponsored, you said it earlier, uh, Bob, the, the Green New Deal. It's another $93 trillion. Folks, do the math. We, we can't, not, not only all of the other things aside when it comes to Harris and what she believes in and her stance and so on, if you just look at the monetary side of it, we can't afford to have her in the White House, period. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I was talking earlier when I rattled off the list of uh, just how liberal she is. Let's put this into perspective, okay? In 2008, when Barack Obama ran for president, Barack Obama was considered in the GovTrack U.S. rankings that I gave you as well. From 1 to 100, he was actually number 100 as far as the most 
liberal in the United States Senate. He wasn't 96 like Kamala Harris. He was 100. So in 2008, Barack Obama was the number one most liberal senator in the United States Senate. And Barack Obama right now today in the Democratic Party is considered a centrist, a moderate. And you know something? Not one position of Obama's has moved to the right since 2008. He is either the same or to the left on every single position. That's how far to the left the Democratic Party is now compared to where it was when Barack Obama ran for president. And Kamala Harris is... Uh, number four from the bottom as far as uh, conservatism in the Democratic Party okay, in the so, Senate. This is how so far left she is. So let me ask you this, Bob, because yeah. I said earlier where you know we all knew that Obama was campaigning for Susan Rice. We all know that. There's yeah. no secrets there. So is this showing everyone how far left the Democrats really are when their supposed messiah, you know, Barack Obama, is telling them he wants this person for VP, and yet they go with somebody that, frankly, is farther left than Susan Rice? I mean, is that how far the Democrat Party has gone to the left, and they're letting the extremists run it now? Well, Yes. I mean, the extremists are running the Democratic Party. There's no doubt of it. Now, I look at Susan Rice, and I don't know everything that went into the decisions behind her, but my best guess is that they probably, you know, the puppet masters probably looked at Susan Rice and said, well, let's see, she's not, she's not a slick, smooth politician, so she, she's not going to be very good on the campaign trail. We know Joe Biden isn't, so we need somebody that can yeah. at least— And she had Benghazi, you know, that, that would right. keep coming up as right. well. Right. Well, that was actually my second point here, uh, but you're right. The first point is she, she doesn't have that slick— uh, silver tongue ability that Kamala Harris has developed over the years of being a politician. Susan Rice doesn't have that. True. So Susan Rice would not be that dynamo on the stage who has great bumper sticker emotional soundbite attack phrases against Donald Trump uh, the way that Kamala Harris will be able to do. So Kamala Harris is going to be the pit bull going after Donald Trump. You know, agree, but I think what Obama was probably looking at is she's also not the angry black woman on stage that that hates everybody in the world. Yeah, well, I guess Kamala does. Yeah, you know what? I know. I, I, I get that. I get that. Kamala does. But Kamala's anger will be funnel-directed straight at Donald Trump, and that's something that could energize the base. Okay. I think she'll be more skilled at that than Susan Rice would be. Okay. And then you bring into it the, the other point I was going to bring up, and you're absolutely right. She does have the Benghazi baggage, and so my best guess is Joe Biden's handlers decided, uh, let's not give the ammunition to uh, to the uh, Republicans to resurrect the whole Benghazi fiasco okay. combined with— Susan Rice is not going to be the slick-talking, soundbite pit bull against Donald Trump that we think Kamala Harris could be. That's that's my best guess of why she won. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Uh, Now, I'd also like to find out from you guys. I'm curious. Some of the what what might be considered side issues, tangential tangential issues, but but I'm not really sure. Uh, One of them is what we alluded to earlier. She is on record saying about uh, Joe Biden's accusers, I believe them, all right? I believe them. And here's, here's a woman, especially in this day of woke, that I believe the accusers of sexual impropriety, in, inappropriate touching, and even sexual assault in the case of Tara Reid, I believe these women 
but now I'm comfortable being Joe Biden's vice president. And this is also the woman who just last year stood on a stage and said to Joe Biden, you supported busing. I was one of those girls. I was that girl, that black girl trying to get into a white school. And you wanted to stop that. And so she pretty much called him a racist while saying, but I'm not calling you a racist. So she called him out for his racist rhetoric uh, and opinions of the past combined with, I'm believing the women who have accused you in this way. Uh, Does this come back to haunt her will conservatives neil Bourne, let me start with you will conservatives be able to get that hypocrisy to resonate with people against the grain of the media of course trying to sweep it under the rug as best as possible first i want to make sure i understand what you're saying are you saying that she believed tara reed because i read a report that she that tara reed you know had approached the office of kamala harris and was basically ignored after saying that we should basically believe all survivors of sexual assault. Uh, You know what, let me step in on that because that's an important point. I'm glad you brought that up. She has actually not said, I believe specifically Tara Reid. She hasn't said that specifically, but she did say in April of 2019 uh, regarding the women who have made allegations against Joe Biden, I believe them. So she said, I believe them. Now, at that point, Tara Reid had not come out yet, but when she did come out, uh, Kamala Harris was silent on that, and so it's kind of assumed that she's sure. lumping Tara Reid with the rest of them. Uh, she did not come out and say, I do not believe Tara Reid, but she did not say, I specifically do believe her. She's on record as saying, I believe them, uh, but that was before Tara Reid came out. So at but, a, at a ma- maximum, it lumps Tara Reid in with it. At a minimum, it's all the inappropriate touching and uncomfortableness and whatever that she says sure. she believes in. Okay, but the reason I bring that up is because Tara Reid alleged that she approached the, you know, Harris's office but was ignored. Uh, and then Harris's office responded, you know, by, well, no, we never received such a complaint. Tara Reid never came to us. We, and so I kind of see that differently because by that point, I think Kamala Harris was wondering down the road if she could get a sweet appointment to some, you mm-hmm. know, cabinet position or something else, or maybe a vice presidential nomination. Although after the incident, you know, during the Democratic primaries and, and the, you know, confrontation that she had with Joe Biden, maybe that was a little bit more doubtful. But I don't know. I'm not. I'm not seeing the consistency on this one. I'm not seeing that she ever uh, agreed to, you know, to believe Tara Reid like like the way that she went after uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And, you know, when Christine right. Blasey Ford was in his face about the SCOTUS nomination. Which then begs the question. That's a very good point you bring up. And I know we got to take a break here, uh, Roger, but let me toss it over to you real quick. What do you think about the Tara Reid and the other accusations as well? Is this a case where, well, wait a minute, a bunch of women uh, make accusations against him. She says she believes him. Then suddenly when it starts getting closer where uh, she might have possibly a cabinet position, now suddenly she's not willing to listen to a Tara Reid. I mean, does any of this kind of stuff potentially blow up in their face? The press is going to do everything they can to sweep it under the rug, of course. Will conservatives, Republicans, the Trump team, will they be able to make hay of this? Should they be able to? Is this just a rabbit hole not to go down, or is this a legitimate issue to try to exploit? Before well, he it, answers that, i got to jump in just real quick, because she should be me tooing 
Joe Biden at she this point. She should be. She really okay. should be. You're right. Roger, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's that's quite all right. And I think I have a, 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 a three-word uh, strategy for the Democrats that we can share on the other side of this break that will be the only way they're going to make any of this go away at, with if, with the people, especially who are the on-the-fencers, who haven't quite made a decision yet whether to go with uh, uh, President Trump or President-elect, uh, potentially Biden. Let's talk about that on the other side of this break as this edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast continues. Dr. Michael Yusuf leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Welcome back to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, along with Bob Duco, John Rush, and Neil Boron. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are discussing all things Kamala Harris and uh, Joe Biden, and the, the question on the table right now is uh, with the Me Too allegations and uh, Ms. Harris kind of playing both sides of the aisle here. Will this, is this something that uh, conservatives can make hay of? Is this something that Democrats should be concerned about? There was a phrase that came up in the Bill Barr hearings a week or so ago that I hadn't really heard used in those hearings before, but I think it's going to become the campaign theme for the Democrats in 2020. Are you ready? It's reclaiming our time. Anytime anybody brings up anything that makes them look bad, they're going to talk over them and say, no, 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 I'm reclaiming my time. I'm reclaiming. They'd ask Bill Barr a question, and then they wouldn't give him a chance to answer. I'm reclaiming my time. I only have five minutes, and I've got four minutes and 59 seconds of scripted material here that I'm going to get on video. So then everybody has to listen to me, and it's soundbite heaven for CNN and MSNBC right. and the rest. Uh, that, that's the only way they can defeat this. Any sane, rational person is going to listen to these arguments, as you guys have just eloquently laid them out and say, wow. The, the hypocrisy here is staggering. I can't vote in this direction. And yet, there are so many people who will be blinded by this. Remember, for the people who say, well, 63 million people voted for Donald Trump, and I don't know what they were thinking. 66 million people voted for Hillary Clinton four years ago, and they right now are centrists. I mean, compared to what the left is doing to the Democrat Party. Was it Kristen Day, the, uh, the president of Democrats for Life, said, with this announcement that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they basically told us to leave our own party. I mean, that, that's, they're so pro-abortion. And, and compared, <laughs> did you ever think you'd be saying in your lifetime, Donald Trump is the most pro-life president in American history? I mean, <laughs> I didn't think I'd see Donald Trump and president in the same sentence, but, but then to put the throw, pro-life in there too. Uh, it, this, a lot of it depends on the media coverage because America has become so soundbite-driven that I have a feeling it's gonna, it's, we're going to see it. And, and I, I hate to say it, but I can see it now. Biden and Harris reclaiming your time, reclaiming our time. I mean, that's what it'll be. In other words, we're just going to talk you down, and we're not going to give you a chance to explain. And the only beacon of hope you're going to find is the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And so we will do our best until November 3rd to tell the truth. Bam. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would tend to agree. Now, let's uh, – uh, which, by the way, but before we – because I, I don't want to shift to another area as well. But before we do, I'd like to – John, what is your – take on this, the, the, the accusations against Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. But one of, the, one of the criticisms of Kamala Harris, and I'm curious if this sticks also, 
is that she really doesn't have a core. She's just kind of a vacant chameleon who yeah. says what she needs to say based on the room that she's in. And so when it was politically expedient for her to say, I believe yep. Joe Biden's accusers, she did yep. that. When it suddenly wasn't politically expedient anymore, here comes the most serious of allegations, sexual assault, Tara Reid. And it's like, oh, you know what, don't have time for this. Uh, is this something that uh, could this potentially hurt her slash Joe Biden? And will this work at all for Republicans Possibly. and conservatives to play this card? Possibly. And, and again, I think these are the things we should work on versus, you know, the color of her skin. A listener sent me this today, which, by the way, I think just really sums up well what you guys are talking about. Quote of the day from April 2019 by Ms. Harris with regards to the women who had accused Joe Biden of inappropriate sexual touching, contact and sexual assault. Of course, that was Tara Reid. Quote, I believe them. And I respect them being able to tell their story and having the courage to do it, the California senator told reporters in April of 2019. My listener says then, it seems to me that if Harris had, my, had any integrity or the courage of her convictions, that she should have to decline to serve as the running mate of a man she believes is guilty of inappropriately touching and assaulting women. You know what? Exactly. That really sums it up, yeah. guys. Yeah. yeah, it's a very good point. Yeah. Very good point. So now I want to move to another area of potential vulnerability. And I know nobody in the mainstream press is going to press Kamala Harris on this, but I'm curious how conservatives will handle it. And that is the issue of race. Okay. Uh, I think you guys are absolutely right. We don't make an issue of her skin color. I, I consider that irrelevant, okay, or ethnicity or whatever. But uh, the liberal left in this country, they don't consider stuff like that irrelevant, okay? Racism is such a sensitive, volatile issue of discussion, and you do have to wonder, is Kamala Harris, and will reporters ask her, are you offended? Does it offend you that Joe Biden said regarding busing and desegregation in schools in 1977, quote, Unless we do something about this, my children are going to grow up in a jungle, a racial jungle. Does that offend you? Does it offend you that in 1993 he referred to inner-city youth as, quote, predators without any conscience developing? Does it offend you that he praised segregationist Governor George Wallace uh, as, quote, someone who's not afraid to stand up and offend people? Does it offend you? that he called Barack Obama in 2007 the first mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and clean and nice-looking. Does it offend you that in August of 2019 he, called, he said poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids, equating poor with black? Does it offend you that in 2012 he said about Republicans to a predominantly black audience, they're going to put y'all back in chains, and then spoke with broken English saying, quote, he going to do nothing about outsourcing, end quote, when he doesn't talk that way? Does it offend you that he just recently said, if, you, if you're black and you vote for Donald Trump, quote, you ain't black? And does it offend you that he attacked a CBS News reporter just two weeks ago uh, who asked him if he would take a mental acuity test, and he yelled at him, said, H-word, no, come on, man. Should you take a cocaine test? Are you a junkie? All right, not to mention the fact saying that the African-American community doesn't have diversity. The Latino community does, unlike the African-American community. I mean, these, these, this kind of list of stuff that's on Joe Biden's resume 
it seems to me that Kamala Harris has to answer why she's not offended, why these aren't deal breakers as far as her working with Joe Biden. Because I guarantee you, if any one of these quotes were on Donald Trump's audio resume, Kamala Harris would be screaming from the mountaintops about how offended she is and how clearly racist that is. So that's kind of my rant on this. I'd like to find out from you guys. Uh, Roger, let me start with you. Is this something potentially, is this a road to go down or is this, I mean, I look at this and I'm like, oh, this is such hypocrisy, but it does boil down to strategically, will it work? Does it play in Peoria or not? Well, you know, it's, there's a, a cliche that's been around for a little while and I think it's rather appropriate to share here. And that is uh, when it comes to many left-leaning Democrats, if it weren't for double standards, they'd have no standards at all. I mean, the reality True. is here we have, uh, you know, someone who everything, all of those quotes going back and forth and back and forth and listen, going, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, oh boy, I remember that one. And yet they just roll right off the backs of liberal and leftist Democrats at, to the point where the pro-life Democrat community is saying, hey, look, 35% of Democrats are pro-life and you're willing to cast us aside because 65% is going to get you in the White House. Um, I don't know how you, I, I don't, if you use logic and you sit and try to reason with people, I don't know how you can come back from these things. At the same time, we've seen that the Democratic Party has, if they're telling President Obama, we don't want to hear your pick anymore because it's too centrist, I, I think that that horse has left the barn. It's never coming back. Uh, John Rush, I know we got to take a break here, too, yeah, John. Yeah. What is your take about the the racial baggage of, of Joe Biden and whether or not that is something that should be attached to Kamala Harris or not? Let's, take a, let's do that. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org. And be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. And you are listening to the National Crawford Roundtable. Myself, Bob, Neil, and Roger. And and Bob, to answer your question, yes, I do think that's something that we should focus on. In fact, the Trump team already is. I don't know if you guys have seen the new ad that just came out from the Trump team that literally, Bob, lays out in sound bites and Joe's actual voice, the clips and so on. Uh, you know, I don't know how they could have laid it out any better than they did. It's a fabulous ad, and I think that's what our side needs to do. You know, we can't attack, you know, Joe for being an old white guy. We can't attack, you know, Harris for being a young black woman that's or a middle-aged black woman that's now the VP candidate. What we have to do is attack them on the policies as things they've done, the things they stand for. And let's face it, Joe Joe Biden is a racist bigot if there ever was one. Well, I mean, you think about it. What What would we be saying? What would everybody be saying? about uh, Donald Trump or anybody else if they said the kind of... Seriously, try to picture, just try to picture Donald Trump giving a press conference and a white reporter asks him, uh, would you take a mental acuity test? And he says, oh, yes, I, I, I do, I have, and I'm constantly taking them, end quote. And then one month later, a black reporter asks him, would you take a mental acuity test? And he goes, no, I haven't. Why the H would I? And then starts laying into him, says, should you take a cocaine test? Are you a junkie? I mean, we can't even picture Donald Trump doing something like that, yet this is 
just one of countless examples of racially insensitive stuff that Joe Biden has said. So it does it does make you wonder, uh, Neil Boron, it does make you wonder if this is something that conservatives and Republicans and Team Trump is right to play and say, let's look at uh, Joe Biden's record on racial rhetoric and let's look at his record on policies for eight years with Barack Obama that they could have done to benefit the lives of African Americans, chose not to in eight years that Donald Trump did get done in one, two, or three. Yeah, but let me also say, in fairness, Donald Trump has made his share of shocking statements. Uh, the problem is he doesn't get away with it. Nothing Biden close does. to that. Nothing close to this. So take the worst thing that Donald Trump has said in a shocking statement racially, and I guarantee you, when you put it into context, it doesn't come anywhere close to no. Joe Biden's comments. Well, I know, but CNN and MSNBC have had a field day with, with comments he's made in the past, and I'm, I'm only saying that to say that when Joe Biden can talk this way and get away with it, it shows you the double standard right. that goes on in the mainstream media. Um, but no, I, I personally believe that that truth matters and that, you know, Republicans, if they hope to win this election, need to tell the truth about this kind of stuff and bring it to the forefront. I don't think there's any danger in doing so. Uh, could, could people hate Donald Trump worse than they do now? <laughs> yeah, no. That's true. Those who hate him. <laughs> yeah, and keep, you know, keep in mind, too, guys, as, and we, we all saw this. This is the other thing I think we should use on our side. You know, Harris herself called Joe Biden a racist. I mean, that was, that was in the debates, in the Democrat debates. I mean, she talked about how he failed to, you know, federally mandate busing and things along those lines. I mean, she all but called him a racist on stage. All but, yeah, it was implied. I don't think she used the term. She didn't say racist. Well, she actually no, said, she I'm not calling you a racist, yeah, but here's Thank the you. racist stuff you did. <laughs> Right. That's exactly right. Uh, what about the accomplishments, though? Of Because to me, this is another big one in competing for the, the black vote, uh, guys, that Donald Trump and his campaign, they have the opportunity to say, you know something? Obama Biden had eight years to get black unemployment to the lowest ever in recorded history. They didn't do it. I did. Poverty rates. I'm the one who got poverty rates for African-Americans to the lowest ever. Abortion, school choice, which helps inner city black kids more than anybody else, okay? Obama Biden said no to school choice to help these families. I did it. Criminal justice reform, they had eight years to get this done. Didn't do it. Wasn't enough of a priority. I got it done inside of two. Same thing with the second chance programs. I got that in opportunity zones. They had eight years to do that. They chose not to. I got it done inside of two. HBCU, historically black colleges and universities, year-round Pell Grants. For eight years, Obama-Biden were petitioned by the HBCUs. Will you give us year-round Pell Grants to help disadvantaged black kids get into college? For eight years, they were told no. Uh, Donald Trump got that done in year one. Auto portability to help African-American senior citizens have more retirement money than they would have had otherwise. Even Bob Johnson, the founder of Black Entertainment Television, liberal Democrat Hillary supporter, praised Donald Trump for this, thanking him for that. So it seems to me, guys, there is an opportunity here for Republicans to say, look, Kamala Harris might be the, you know, African-American window dressing, if you will, but there is no substance to what Joe Biden has done for African-Americans in this country. There is substance what, uh, in what Trump and Pence have done. That's my take, at least. 
Well, can I just say that those kind of stories then have to be told inside of campaign ads because they'll be edited otherwise, or perhaps during live debates if there are any. Otherwise, you'll never hear those stories in the mainstream media. I know. Well said, Neil. Very true. All right, so we're just uh, just about out of time as we kind of wind down this uh, th- this podcast here. Uh, maybe just a, a final thought. How? What do you guys think? Let's go around the table real real quick. Neil, what do you think about this overall in general? Does she hurt, help, or no difference to the to Biden's chances in November? I'm not trying to be personally nasty towards Joe Biden, but, you know, my dad has severe Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. And I look at Joe Biden and there's an emptiness in his eyes that leads me to believe he's not capable of being president of the United States, even if he wins. So if, you know, if the Biden-Harris ticket wins, she'll be president sooner rather than later. Um, I think she, I think anybody with a pulse helps him. And I'm not saying that in a crass way. I'm saying I think that that he's the least common denominator the Democrats could have come up with as a nominee. Yeah. Uh, John Rush, what do you think? Uh, a net positive, net negative, or no difference? Net negative for the Democrats, net positive for us, of course, because there's so many things we've discussed even in this last hour, and there's so many other facets that if you really dug into it, things that you could use against them on the campaign trail. And even though you know, even though she's crass and she's sharp and she debates well, so does Mike Pence. So when those two get in the ring together, uh, well, debate together, I should say, uh, you know, Mike Pence can hold his own very well against her. I see no issues there. I see it still being a help to us. All right. And uh, Roger, what do you think? Well, I think the Democratic base is energized for the moment uh, because they think they've got the perfect balance uh, to Joe Biden. And uh, to Neil's point, I think there is a genuine concern about his health. Uh, elections are one in the middle. They're one with independents. They're one, one with the undecideds. And so the question is, does this move the needle enough for uh, the guy who's sitting on the fence saying, yeah, I voted for Trump in 2016, but I'm not so sure because he is kind of crass and uh, abrasive and abusive. I, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be style over it, it, it's a question, will it be style over substance? And if you're looking at the GOP side of the equation, even without Trump's, uh, with his lack of political expertise, you have a former congressman and former governor who's his vice president, and you have a former uh, governor and a former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. warming up in the bullpen. So if anybody wants to go, you know, girl talk to girl talk, I mean, Nikki Haley's all ready to come off the bench and go after these people. So (laughs) I think if it's the strength of character, uh, the GOP ticket benefits mightily from this. But the court of public opinion is kind of fickle, isn't it? Well, uh, that it is. And I, I, I'm probably going to be a little bit of an outlier here. I see her as a net positive for the Democrats. Uh, but the only reason I say that is because this na- anybody with a pulse now suddenly gives an opportunity for the light to shine on somebody other than Joe Biden. Because before her, Joe Biden was in his bunker and that's it. Now you at least have somebody who, let's face it, anybody, anybody is going to have more charisma. The the cardboard cutout of Joe Biden has more (laughs) charisma than Joe Biden does. And so... Anyone, especially a skilled politician who knows how to string together sentences and talk in emotional sound bites and can go out there and be the pit bull and attack, uh, attack Donald Trump, I think is going to be uh, a plus. And so in that regard, I think if he had picked any, uh, if he had picked Karen Bass, if he had picked Susan Rice, if he had picked just about anybody, uh, I think they would have been a net plus just for that reason. I don't think her negative baggage necessarily outweighs 
the the positive perceptions that are created. So all in all, I would say it's a net plus for them, but not any kind of grand slam home run for them at all. So that's my analysis. Uh, very interesting discussion. Gentlemen, always enjoy uh, catching up. Folks, it's the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. You can listen to us live. Uh, you can go to, first of all, you can go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. We'd love for you to review it. Give us a nice five-star review if you wouldn't mind. Uh, listen to us on Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. You can also listen at Crawford.live and access uh, archived podcasts and listen to them as well. And Roger Mush, Roger, uh, John Rush, Roger, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver. By the way, folks, guys, you didn't think I could do impersonations. That was my Joe Biden impersonation. Oh, just so gotcha, you know. gotcha. <laughs> See, I'm an impersonator. Oh, You're good, Bob. I'm an impersonator. Really good. Yeah, good job. John Rush, <laughs> Rush to Reason out of Denver. Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California. Neil Boron, Neil Boron live out of Buffalo, New York. Myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit. Gentlemen, great talking with you. Thanks so much. Looking forward to next week. Thank you, Bob. You bet. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, everybody. God bless. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Company production.